If you're new with us, we always spend one weekend in August, two weekends in January, talking about money. Some people say, well, it's all churches talk about is money. No, once in August, twice in January. People say, well, churches just want our money. So here's the deal. I don't want you to give one penny you don't want to give. We just want to help. In April of 2017, Time Magazine's research identified money as the leading cause of worry and anxiety in Americans. The number one cause of sleepless nights. In 2018, the APA, the American Psychological Association, identified money as the number one cause of stress in the lives of most Americans. Seems to me that's a rather miserable way to live. So we just want to help. We need to understand what God says about money. Jesus said, if you get this one area of your life wrong, it's not likely you're going to get much of anything else in your life right. So that's what I want to talk about. If you have a Bible, turn with us to Psalm 49. Psalm 49 has one of the most unique introductions of any passage anywhere in the Bible. Psalm 49, verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. That word, that Hebrew word translated world, very unique word. It's not the typical word referring to the cosmos or something like that. It's actually a very unique Hebrew word that means the world in time. Not the world of time, but the world in time, which carries the idea that we as people have a very short amount of time on earth. So the introduction of the psalm is everyone everywhere who has this little bit of time to live on planet earth, listen up, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the heart, on the harp. So this psalm's about uh, 3,000 years ago. And essentially what the writer is saying, everyone, everywhere, at any time who has ever lived, you have a short amount of time on this earth. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, high or low. This applies to everybody. It's perhaps the most comprehensive introduction of any passage anywhere in the Bible, which would indicate this must be pretty important. In verse 3, we've learned wisdom means skillful living. We've learned that understanding means the application of truth in the poetic literature. So he says, I'm going to help you understand how to live skillfully. 
He says in verse 4, I'm going to distill it down to something as simple as a proverb. I'm going to make it as simple as like lyrics in a cute little song. So that's essentially what he's saying. Everybody of all times needs to listen, and I'm going to make it as simple as possible. Verse 5, why should I fear in days of adversity? This word fear is a Hebrew word. It doesn't mean to be afraid. It means to be in awe. This is a compound Hebrew word. It literally means to be overly awed. Maybe we'd say overly impressed. Don't be overly impressed when times are hard, when the iniquity of my foes surround me. Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. So to understand this psalm, it's really important we get off to a good start. The psalm is not an indictment against the rich. As a matter of fact, there's nowhere in the Bible where there is anything negative said about having wealth. There's no problem with that. As a matter of fact, Abraham was wealthy, David was wealthy, Solomon was wealthy. That's never the problem. The problem is the tendency to trust riches, to love riches. The more we have, the more likely it is that we're going to trust what we have more than God. The danger is that we find our self-worth based on our net worth. That we start to think our significance comes from our money, our houses, our stuff, our titles, all of these things. But it's also a message to those that have less. Because the tendency is to think, if I had more, I'd be happy. If I had more, it would solve my problems. If I had more, I'd be more significant. If I had more net worth, I would have more self-worth. Remember, the introduction is to rich and poor, high and low, everyone who has ever lived anywhere. So there isn't a single person in the room that doesn't struggle with this. So that's the concern identified in the psalm. Verse 7, no man can by any means redeem purchase, it's a commercial term, his brother, or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. What he's saying in verses 7, 8, and 9 is that money cannot by favor with God. It cannot redeem a human soul. It cannot add one day of life. It cannot affect our life after death. One of the challenges people have who have more is they get pretty used to having their way. They get used of 
uh, used to people treating them a certain way. And one way or another, they tend to get what they want. So we tend to think that's the way it's going to work with God. That somehow I can earn favor with God. I can buy favor with God. Somehow this gives me an advantage. And so what the text is saying in verse 8, that a human soul is far too valuable to be purchased with something as worthless as money. So money is necessary. We have to have money to live. We have to have money to pay the bills. But it's good to remind ourselves that's about all money actually does. When it comes to the things that matter and will matter forever, money has really no effect. Money cannot put a failing marriage back together. uh, Money cannot make the cancer go away. Money cannot stop the chronic pain. Money cannot make the addiction end. Money cannot bring a rebellious teenager home. Money cannot give me peace. It cannot bring me joy. It cannot bring me happiness. And it can certainly not save my soul. Several years ago, there were a group of us pastors gathered in Dallas, Texas, maybe a dozen of us. And over the course of our meetings, we were visited by a man by the name of Bob Buford. Bob was extremely wealthy. He owned a series of of television stations, owned a network of stations. And Bob told his own personal story. When his son was 24 years old, he moved to Colorado. He and a buddy decided to try to swim the Rio Grande River, and they didn't make it. He said he received the phone call that his son was missing, and immediately he hired everything that money could buy. He said he had planes, he had helicopters in the air, he had search and rescue teams, he had everything that money could buy. But the fact was his son had drowned in the river. And he said in that moment, he realized he had lived for money. But when it comes to the things that matter, money really can't do anything. And for him personally, this was a life-changing moment. As he would describe it, moving from success to significance and investing his life in the things that actually matter. He has spent the rest of his life pouring his time, his talents, and his energies into the things that ultimately will matter forever. Now here's the encouraging part of this message. Every single person in the room has an equal Opportunity to live for the things that will matter forever. 
doesn't have anything to do with whether you're rich or poor. Doesn't have anything to do with whether you're high or low. There's no one in the room that has less of an opportunity to live for the things that matter forever. It doesn't have anything to do with how much money you do or don't have. This is where we get messed up as we start thinking money is the answer, so that's what we live for. And that's just simply not true. Verse 10, for he sees, we see, that even the wise men die and the stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Doesn't matter if you're the wisest person in the room. Doesn't matter if you're the most stupid person in the room. We all die. And nobody can change that. And at the end of the day, we all leave what we've accumulated behind. This is not a positive statement of wealth transfer. This is a very negative statement that if you spend your life accumulating money and stuff, when you die, it doesn't go with you. It's a complete waste of a life. Verse 11 is dripping with sarcasm. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations, for they have called their lands after their names. The uh, idea of verse 11, it's dripping with sarcasm, is that the only possible reason why someone would live to accumulate money and stuff is they must believe with all their heart their house will last forever. They must believe all their stuff will last forever. Why else would someone invest this valuable, brief moment of time we call life into something that will be left behind? They must believe that it will last Forever. Why else would someone do that? The idea of naming a land after yourself is in the ancient world, wealthy people would name a piece of ground after themselves, convincing themselves that would give me significance after I die. We have various ways of doing that today. So... I find a piece of ground, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to name it the land of Brian. So for hundreds of years, people will admire me and think I'm significant because they live in the land of Brian. We all get this, don't we? It doesn't work. Nobody's impressed There's all these ways we do that, but at the end of the day, you don't even know who Brian is, and we're not impressed. But again, the sarcasm is, 
If you're going to live this one life, you get for houses and money and stuff. You must believe it's going to last forever. Why else would we possibly do that? So verse 12 is the proverb. Verse 12 is distilling this down to the simple point. But man, mankind in his pomp will not endure. Pomp basically means all that we use to try to convince ourselves and the people around us we're significant. It's our houses, it's our bank account, it's our title, it's our money, it's our stuff. It's everything we accumulate to try to say to the world, I'm significant and I matter. Some of you remember the old TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. That's pomp. It's taking all that stuff. It will not endure. That word endure is a Hebrew word. That means literally will not make it through the night. It's a metaphor that you go to bed one night, meaning you die. You wake up in the morning and all the stuff, the pomp that defined your life in this life. Hey, guess what? It doesn't make it through to the other side. So that's what he's talking about there. Man in his pomp will not endure. None of the stuff makes it. He is like the beasts that perish. So since we live in Nebraska, we're going to identify the beasts as a cow. So here's what he's saying. Take all of the stuff that we've accumulated, all the pomp of life we've lived for, and when we die and wake up, On the other side, we will find that what we accomplished in the short amount of time we had on earth is the equivalent of a cow eating grass in the pasture. That's the proverb. That's what he's saying in verse 12. Now, again, this isn't a message just for the rich. It's a message for all of us, rich and poor, High and low. There's nobody in the room that doesn't struggle with this. Those that have more tend to trust more and find more of their significance in their more. Those that have less wish they had more and think if they had more, then I would be more significant. Every one of us struggles with this in a different way. Verse 13, this is the way of those who are foolish. And those after them who approve their words. So this affirms what I just said. It's those who live that way and those who wish they could live that way. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. We would say led to the slaughter. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. So death is the shepherd that's leading them to the slaughter When they die, they're going to find out on the other side everything they live for in this world didn't make it to the world to come. When it talks about the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Who are the upright? The upright are those that understand. 
Those that understand what will last forever. Those who understand what matters. Those that understand we need to live for something far more valuable than just money and stuff. And they will rule over, uh, rule over them in the morning. The phrase in the morning is connecting with that idea that they won't endure. So he's already told us our stuff won't make it through the night. So in the morning, those who are going to rule are going to be those who live for the things that matter. So imagine this scene. Imagine a single parent who's doing everything possible just survive, but invest herself in the things that matter. When she dies and wakes up on the other side, she will be ruling over the billionaires who have run their empires on earth, thinking that money and stuff is ultimately what matters. It's this grand reversal that reminds us the value system that defines life on this earth is not God's value system. It does not make it to the other side. It's not going to matter on the other side. Ultimately, it's God's value system that will prevail forever. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their form shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. That word habitation means a mansion. They don't have a mansion on the other side. The value system that defined this world isn't God's value system in the world to come. Verse 15, but, it's a really important word right there, but it doesn't have to be that way. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. What money could never do in redeeming my soul, God has offered to do. God will redeem my soul. God will receive me into his presence. Again, the encouragement of this psalm is it doesn't matter this morning if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're high or low. Every person in the room has equal opportunity to experience God's salvation forever. Has nothing to do with money or stuff. And that's what he's saying. What money could never do in redeeming a soul, God has offered to do through his son. And it's equally offered to every single person. So verse 16, do not be afraid. This is our word again. Do not be overly awed or overly impressed. When a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. In other words, that's not where life is found. Don't live for that. His glory will not descend after him. 
Verse 18 is the problem. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Verse 18 is the problem. And that is right now in this world. This value system of the world does prevail. Money does talk. People's self-worth is defined by their net worth. It does matter what kind of a house you live in. It does matter what kind of a car you drive. It does matter what your title is. It does matter how much you accumulate. That's what makes it so difficult to process in this life. That is the prevailing value system. We understand that. We know that when you go back to your 25th high school reunion, it does matter if you show up in a brand new Lexus or a 10-year-old minivan. Yes, it does matter. People are impressed with money and stuff. That's the problem. And so we congratulate ourselves and others congratulate us, essentially saying this is the lifestyle that does get the applause, that does get the attention. It is what impresses people. The problem is that applause becomes so intoxicating And it becomes so loud that we are no longer able to hear the voice of God. And that's what he says in verse 19. When people get caught up in that lifestyle, in that value system, the applause becomes so loud. They will not hear the voice of God. They will not ever see the light. And they will go to their grave, not realizing that what they have accumulated over a lifetime will end up accomplishing about as much as a cow eating grass in the pasture. He gives us the proverb one more time. Verse 20, man in his pomp, all that stuff, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. That's the proverb. So a couple things to think about as we begin to wrap this up. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't get the money thing Right. You stand really no chance of getting much of anything right. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So this is a significant issue. One of the things that I would hope we would celebrate as we walk back out these doors this morning is again the reminder, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're high 
or low. Every single person in the room has an equal opportunity to live for the things that ultimately matter. We do not have an equal opportunity to be wealthy and buy big houses and nice cars. We don't. But what the psalm is saying is big deal. It's irrelevant. Whatever your story is, wherever you find yourself this morning, you have just as much of an opportunity to live for the things that will matter forever as anyone else. It's up to you. There should be great encouragement in that. Second of all, what the psalm just told us is the majority of people. Jesus said the wide road leads to destruction. The majority, certainly the majority of Americans will become so caught up in the value system of this world. They will never see the light. And they will go to their grave having wasted this precious gift of life. But here's the deal. The overwhelming majority of people sitting in this room this morning will not live that way. Now, why you stop and think about this? You're not smarter. You're not more clever. You're not more gifted. You're not more self-righteous. You're not better. None of us are. But for reasons only God knows. He chose you. And he opened up your eyes to the truth. And you've seen the light. And you understand this. You understand it. You believe it, you agree with it, and you choose to live that way. Again, stop and think about this. As you leave this morning, for most of you, there should be a smile on your face. There should be a realization that it's entirely possible I could have wasted my entire life, but I won't. Because I do get this. And I have seen the light. And I will live for the things that matter. There's a lot of reason for encouragement in that. I mentioned earlier, we just want to help. So let me close with a couple of resources that might be helpful. So there's tables on the 100 level, on the 200 level. There's people at those tables that can answer your questions. We offer a lot of resources. We have upcoming classes. You can get a list of those. You can ask questions, all kinds of different areas of your financial life. Uh, we offer financial coaches. If this morning you say, you know, I'm just a mess, that's fine. We'll uh, assign you a coach that will lovingly, privately sit down with you, help you figure out where you're at, how to get things in order, how to figure out a budget, and how to change your situation. We'd love to help. If, if you need that, talk to someone at the table. We also offer some resources. Uh, for several years, we've been asking people to go through the Money Talk series. This is six weeks. It's a video series. 
You can jump on the website, get it for free. It's under the Care tab. Or you can pick it up uh, here at the Publication Center. The primary discussion in the Bible as it relates to money is that money helps us understand what we're living for. Primarily, the Bible's not about budgeting and saving and debt. It's primarily about a barometer to measure what you value in life. So a big emphasis here has been about living for the things that matter. You may think you are, but are you? Well, that's what this series, it's a group series. Find a few friends, go through it. Uh, Hopefully it will be helpful. We've been pushing the book God and Money for a couple of years now. The two authors of this book are Harvard MBA graduates. Uh, It's an outstanding book. In my opinion, it's the best book out there for what God has to say about money and then what that looks like practically lived out, both in your business and in life. We've actually worked really hard with the authors to try to get this book at an affordable price. They've been really generous with us, so we offered it five bucks. You can't get it at that price anywhere else. One of the authors of that book has written a follow-up book. This is brand new. It's called True Riches. Uh, Excellent book, highly recommended. And again, we've worked directly with John. He's been very generous to us, and we offer this book at five bucks. Uh, You can't buy it for that price anywhere else. So these resources are available at the Publication Center. I would encourage you to take advantage of these. I know that there's many, many, many of you here this morning. You understand what we're talking about. You choose to live this way. You've been very generous to the ministry of Lincoln Berean. And every once in a while, we just want to give you a glimpse of the return on your investment. You don't just pay for utilities and salaries. You, you invest in changing and impacting people's lives. So this is an opportunity to get just a glimpse of what you've invested in, and it gives Casey an opportunity to say thank you to you. This is her story. So when Amber was three days old, we found out she needed to have surgery. There was something wrong in her brain. When she was getting ready for surgery, I knew at that moment that it could be the last time that I see her. And it was the first time that I actually prayed out loud. That I just had that overwhelming sense that I knew that God had to take this from me and just knowing that I did not have control anymore and I needed help. On top of all of that, I was just struggling. I was struggling with a husband who was an alcoholic and financial difficulties, Um, my own mental issues with depression, anxiety, and 20 years of struggling with an eating disorder. Not knowing where to turn. I knew that I wouldn't be here much longer if things didn't change. 
I got introduced to Brian after my sister had started coming here, her and her family. Then the moment I walked in the doors, everyone was so welcoming. I can remember just standing up and singing with the worship band and just knowing that I had this amazing peace that came over me. It made such a huge impact. I just wanted more. I'd always take away something from the sermon of, I want to do my life different, like, but I just didn't know how. I can remember walking up to the stage one day and putting a note card on the stage of three things that we were surrendering. And in that moment is when I knew that I had to do something. And that's when I sought out spiritual care the next day. I remember walking into the spiritual care room when I started meeting with Jennifer. Again, just an amazing moment where I felt so safe, like I wasn't being judged. I could be myself. I could be real. She had a relationship with God, and I had never seen that before, and I did not know what that looked like. And Jennifer was just the start of people that God was placing in my life. I was introduced by a family here at church to horses and get introduced to horse therapy. And it was this amazing experience. I was able to get set up with a dietitian that goes here to Berean. I was able to see a counselor to get help through the single women's ministry from Cheryl, learning that there are other single moms out there who are struggling. I was introduced to Brad, who helped me with um, a budgeting class. The church gave me money so that I could buy Christmas gifts for my kids. But the biggest thing is, is that, you know, God provided this church for me and all these resources that there's no way I could have ever done this without it. Because of the generosity of all these wonderful people here at Brian that have loved me and supported me, today I'm able to give back by helping other um, young moms uh, at the women's Bible study and letting them know that it's okay. get back there and even if we've never met you've made a huge impact in my life so thank you